following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. I came to say Merry Christmas, and I'm not prepared to say Happy New Year. So I say hello. <laughs> we are back in our work in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Uh, we're going to begin chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and that's page 838 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Well, I hope that you all have enjoyed your Sabbath rest of Christmas. It's the most restful time of the year, isn't it? Yeah. Well, still, for me, I entered my Sabbath rest exactly on time, 7.30, Christmas Eve. Everything is done, nothing left to do. Just enjoy the time with our family, uh, giving each other gifts to celebrate one another and remember our Lord's birth. It was a wonderful uh, time. I so enjoyed that time, I got lots of and lost track of what day it was, um, and almost forgot to write a sermon. So I thought maybe I should. It might sound a day late to you. It, it feels it to me. Well, I, did, I did eventually remember to write it, so we'll get to it. We are returning um, to the early ministry of Jesus in Galilee on a number on, on, Another Sabbath day where Jesus is once again uh, questioned about violating the Sabbath. So let's look at Mark 3, verses 1 through 6, page 838 in the Pew Bible. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Well, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your marvelous grace. We are thankful that you have brought us together here this morning to spend time in worship to you, whether through singing or through giving or through attention to your word. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word. These are your words. This is your truth, the truth, and we are grateful for that. Please enlighten us, Lord, this morning as we study together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I admit, looking at this um, event, it seems to be, at first glance, not that big a deal. Um, Jesus likes to heal people. The Pharisees don't like Jesus. And Jesus, 
seems to think that the Sabbath is not that important. Amen. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> it seems like, uh, to me, most of Jesus' ministry, or at least as the Gospels record it, uh, kind of goes this way. Jesus does something, Pharisees don't like it, and the story. But the truth is, there's a lot more going on and a lot at stake in this seemingly innocuous encounter. Now, Jesus had just proclaimed a week or so before his authority over the Sabbath. Last week, we looked at another Sabbath day. It's not this same day because the Gospel of Luke records both of them and has some stuff in between. So it's at least a week later. And Jesus had proclaimed his authority over the Sabbath. He said in the final verses of chapter 2, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what Jesus was declaring is that he knows the design of the Sabbath. And what he does and says perfectly aligns with God's intentions in giving the Sabbath rest to mankind. The Pharisees did not align with God's design for the Sabbath. They had all kinds of other ideas and rules. God gave the Sabbath to the world at creation first, not just the law of Moses. It's included in the Ten Commandments, commandment number four, right? This is number four, four on the floor. Take a rest. What, you never heard that before? They don't teach that in elementary school anymore? (laughs) Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall have no idols and bow down to them. Uh, Commandment number three, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Watch your lips. Commandment number four, keep the Sabbath day holy. Four on the floor. Rest. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Uh, There's a mother and father and a baby. And these other guys, I can't remember that one. (laughs) I can't remember that one. Anyway, Anyway. we'll go over the rest of them some other time when I can't remember them. (laughs) Commandment number four was given to Moses, but God established the Sabbath long before that. Uh, he established on the seventh day of creation when he rested from his work of creation. It's not that he needed a break uh, to uh, catch his breath or anything. He, uh, um, he ceased doing what he is doing, rest that way. The work of creation was finished, so he stopped creating. And in doing so, in the ceasing, he established the wonderful and blessed pattern of working for six days and taking the seventh day as a day of rest, a pattern that we would do well to remember. It is a great gift to us to rest. Now, as we have talked about previously in dealing with these Sabbath day controversies that Jesus had been involved in so far in Mark's record, Jesus' purpose is to correct the abuse of the Sabbath, not to abolish it. 
The Pharisees had heaped on piles and piles of rules and silly definitions of what constituted work to the Sabbath and healing in a non-threatening, non-life-threatening situation was not allowed in their rules. If someone was dying, you had permission to heal them, but if, if they weren't, it was not allowed. They can wait a day. It's, it's so crazy. I don't understand it. So on this particular Sabbath, uh, Jesus' words and actions posed a much sharper question to the Pharisees. And the question was, whose purpose more closely aligns with God's purpose of the Sabbath, yours or mine? They are working to protect the Sabbath, right? But does their purpose align with God's purpose for the Sabbath? I don't think so. I don't think Jesus did either. Again, he entered the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. It's the only reason they were there. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. That's it. Come and stand in front of everybody. There's a little more to the Greek than there is to the English. It's not just, get over here. It's come and stand in the middle of everyone. It's the words that he used. And with this man standing beside him, he asked the Pharisees, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they give the only answer that they can, nothing. <laughs> right? They were silent. Jesus is simply asking, may a man heal on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus answered, obviously, yes. And what was their answer? Not yes, but it wasn't no either. Hmm, what a great bunch of politicians these guys would have made. <laughs> their answer was silence. They didn't say anything, which is an answer in and of itself. It's not yes. It's not no. It's we're not going to answer because we know the right answer and it will agree with you and we'll look foolish. <laughs> Turn on CNN, Fox News. You see that a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to answer your question. Jesus posed a moral question to the Pharisees. He did not pose a legal question. The Pharisees are not at all concerned with morality, what is right and what is wrong. Jesus asked, is it right to do good regardless of what day you do it on? Now, in Matthew's account of this confrontation, he records Jesus asking them another question. Which one of you, if your sheep fell in a hole, would leave it there until the next day? Or would you pull it out if it happened on a Sabbath? If your sheep falls in the ditch on the Sabbath, who wouldn't pull it out? The answer is, we don't get it. We're just going to let it suffer down there. Get it out, right? Well, that was the correct answer, but they didn't answer that question either. The trouble these Pharisees were having is that they knew the right answer to the question, even though they didn't like it. They knew their answer was yes, but they couldn't admit it and this exposed their agenda. We're not going to agree with you, even though you're right, because we want you to be wrong, and we don't want to be wrong, 
So if we admit that you're right, that means we admit we're wrong, and we're not. You're a jerk. That's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. It's like closed captioning. <laughs> hmm. If Jesus ignored this man's problem because of the Pharisees' Sabbath rules, despite his power to heal him in that moment, he would, in fact, or wouldn't he, in fact, be causing that man further suffering? What? We just got to wait 24 hours. Come back tomorrow. We'll fix the problem. No, this guy's got a hand. He can't use. That means he can't work. He can't do what a man was supposed to do. And what is there if you can't work in first century Palestine? What is there to do? If you can't hold the hammer, all you can do is stretch out your other hand for begging. That's the occupation for a handicapped person, unfortunately, in this time, in this place. So, he said, Jesus say, you can handle that for another day. All right, come back in 24 hours. That way the Pharisees don't get upset. What's wrong with that? Right? He's prolonging the man's suffering. That's exactly what he would be doing. He had the power to heal him in that moment. Reverend Joseph Benson said, not to do good when it is in the power of our hand to do it is to do evil. Not to save a life when we can is to kill. That's what Jesus is saying. I have the power to solve this man's problem, and I'm not going to not do it just because you say so. This is a moral issue and not a legal one. The Pharisees were not at all interested in morality. They're only interested in the control of legalism. They wanted people to do as they said. We said a few weeks ago, who gave the Pharisees authority to make more rules for the Sabbath? Ten rules is enough. We can't even do them. I went through five, right? How many of those did you violate on the way to church this morning? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting personal. <laughs> the Pharisees only wanted to control people. That's why they made all the rules, extra rules. And Jesus saw in this scenario not only a man with a withered hand, but he saw men with withered hearts. And what was Jesus' answer to their non-answer answer? He asked them a question. They don't say anything. And how does he respond? This is a wonderful picture right here. This is not just about black and white fag story. What is Jesus' response? It's anger and pity. Anger and pity. We think it's only natural. Get mad. Absolutely. Bunch of jerks. We don't like that. Get mad. But that's not the only thing that Jesus felt, and it's recorded here. Pity. He said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel great relief that uh, here... Is it proven that it's not a sin to be angry? Oh. 
right? Both Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, they say exactly the same thing. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. It's not say, don't sin by being angry. That's not what it says. In your anger, do not sin. And how on earth is that possible? Because you go straight from anger to murder, right? (laughs) Jesus said, you hated someone in your heart, you have already murdered them. I'm angry at that, but it's okay. That's so hard for us to do. How is it possible to be angry and not sin? Well, Jesus shows us right here. The way to be angry and not sin is to be angry as Jesus was at sin. Only sin. That's the secret. Generally speaking, when I'm angry, it's at sin, of course, of like cutting me off in traffic or (laughs) taking my seat in the living room, you know, angry at sin. (laughs) Jesus is only angry at sin, nothing but sin. Jesus was angry. This isn't a fake anger. This isn't, he's not putting on a face to prove a point. Jesus was angry. That's what the word really means. It's translated very well. He's angry at the sin of the Pharisees. He was angry at their stubborn unwillingness to admit the truth. And he was grieved. He was grieved. He felt sorry for them in their inflexible resolution to persist in unbelief. That's worth getting angry at. That's a sin worth being angry at. Jesus responds in this wonderful revelation of his feelings about sin was pity. Jesus pitied these poor sinners, these poor Pharisees that would not allow themselves to be changed. They would not allow themselves to be humbled by God. Matthew Henry wrote, It is a great grief to our Lord Jesus to see sinners bent on their own ruin and obstinately set against the methods of their conviction and recovery, for he would not that any should perish. What should Jesus angry at? He feels pity because these men are choosing damnation. They are choosing to reject Jesus. And when judgment day comes, that's what every man and woman who's ever lived will be measured by. Did you reject Jesus? That's it. We'd like to think, well, we murdered 47 people, obviously going that way. I didn't ever murder anybody. I'm going this way. Right? All you have to do is be nice, be good. You get into heaven. Right? No? What do you you? How do you dare say wrong? This is what it is. Did you accept the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ or not? These men chose not. And that is what grieved Jesus and continues to grieve Jesus even now when people will, people willfully reject his grace and forgiveness. And he looked around at them in anger 
grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. When this man comes in with a withered hand, I don't think it's any coincidence at all that Jesus asked the man to do exactly what he was unable to do. <laughs> stretch out your hand. It's like, hey amen, my whole life, no, stretch out my hand. Are you kidding? But it doesn't say that. He was unable to do this on his own. And I think that's the point. Alistair Begg said, only Jesus can give us the grace to enter into obedience to God's command. We can't do this on our own. You can't follow God's command on our own. Jesus said, if you love me, do as I command. You can't unless you love him because he's the only one that can give you the grace to obey. Jesus' power gives us the power to obey him. Jesus' healing power allowed this man to do what he could not do on his own, to stretch out his withered hand. And power was exactly what was at stake in the mind of the Pharisees. Jesus' power, Jesus' authority, confronted and overwhelmed theirs. People weren't listening to them anymore. Jesus said, you don't have to follow their rules, and people started to believe that. And their influence and their authority in the eyes of people start to weaken. And in their efforts to protect their power, in their inflexible resolve to persist in unbelief, they decided to go to the next level to conspire with their enemies against the Lord Jesus, with the Herodians. Now, we all know what a Herodian is, right? No. Okay, the Herodians. Verse 6 says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Well, if you knew what a Herodian is, I wouldn't have to explain it, and this would be a much more powerful statement. <laughs> so I'll tell you what the Herodian is. Herodian, the Herodians were Jews living in uh, Israel, that were loyal to King Herod. Herodians, Herod, Indian, whatever, Herodians. They were followers of King Herod. This was a political group, not a religious group. And the Pharisees knew, as all wicked men know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And they needed help not just to silence Jesus, to make him stop threatening their authority, but to destroy him. This event really was the climax of Jesus' confrontations with the Pharisees in Galilee. The opposition from here on out would only intensify. And this is where the Pharisees are out in the open. Now it's time to destroy this man, not just make him go away. Just go back to Nazareth and shut up, please. Leave our stuff alone. He, they said the only way to stop this man is to kill him. And they were willing to be traitors to their own nation to do it. 
So now we're faced with the big question. So what? As I've said repeatedly, the Gospels were written strategically. This account is included on purpose. And while I believe we have covered some of that purpose already, I think there are still some questions that we're left with. Really one in my mind. And maybe this is a stretch. But my question is, why would Jesus heal this man and not me? Why would Jesus heal this man and not you? Or the one that you'll pray for? The one that you love? Why did he choose to heal this man? Why doesn't he just fix all our problems like these lucky jerks we keep reading about? The reason that the father chooses to let some struggle and the reason that the father chooses to let some be healed is the same reason. It's all for his glory. The reason that the man with the withered hand was healed and why this story was included in Scripture was to reveal God's glory. Just as the Pharisees were allowed in their hardness of heart to persecute Jesus unto death so that the glory of God may be revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I hate that that's the answer to the question because it doesn't solve my problem. But it's still the truth. May we take comfort in knowing God's purposes are farther reaching than our vision. May we, like the man with the withered hand, stretch out our withered hearts before the Lord, even if our hands remain withered, trusting him for his restoration by grace, restoration of our hearts, which is much more important than our hands knowing that only Jesus can give us the grace to enter into obedience to God's commands. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your great grace. Grace that allows us to believe. Grace that allows us to repent of our sin. Grace that allows us to be forgiven and grace that allows our hands to remain withered if that's what will bring our withered hearts before you to be restored. Father, we thank you for this seemingly innocuous encounter to see that you are at work in all of these things. May your Holy Spirit continue to speak to us. May these words continue to ring in our heads, our hearts. We love you, Lord, and we trust you with the results. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we go anywhere, we're going to have another baptism today. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 